and it is always a privilege to to worship and to see God's people in other parts of the world. I was so blessed by the testimony this morning because I was saved in December 1982. Same year with you. And brother, it was on a Friday. I just cannot remember the date. (laughs) So just imagine God saved us the same month, possibly the same day, 1982. And the other thing I have to clarify is the um, patience, Patience Baptist Church. When the missionaries came to St. Lucia, as I told you all, things were very bad. Um, Living conditions were very poor. The island was predominantly Catholic, and the priests, the Catholic priests, would not entertain a Protestant um, pastor or any Protestant work. I I won't have time to tell you what they did to those missionaries who came down. You know, the kind of things they pour over them. Maybe I shouldn't even say that on the pulpit, right? But and working among the 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 people in St. Lucia, it was not easy. So this is why they came with that name, that you, need, you needed patience to minister, to evangelize in, in St. Lucia. And we loved the name and we, we kept it, Patience Baptist Church. Now I want to speak to you from the book of Philippians. So if you could turn to Philippians chapter chapter 4, and I'll just read a few verses beginning from from verse 10. It says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Let us pray. O Lord, our Father, we come before thy presence this morning in the name of our Savior, the only Savior of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are so thankful that we could come. We ask your blessings upon us. Forgive us of our sins. O God, thou art God, and there is none before thee Thou art the eternal and the ever-living God, the sovereign ruler of the universe. And we are so thankful for all what Thou hast done. Oh, forgive us, Lord, of our sins. We are thankful for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He died so that we could have eternal life. He died so that we could be reconciled unto Thee. Oh, Lord, we thank Thee. And we pray, O God, that Thou would bless us this morning that thou would open our hearts and with great humility as we study thy word, that thou would help us to take it, take it in, and, O oh God, and help us to grow so that we could be better Christians. 
as we mount a witness for thee in this part of the vineyard. So bless each and every one of us and bless thy word to us this morning for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, my subject this morning is Christian contentment. Christian contentment. This is not a subject that is very popular today. I'm sure you know that because of our covetous society, a society where people are so obsessed with consumption. We are never satisfied with what we have. There is always a craving for something which is unholy and unwholesome. Many people in our land, <coughs> sorry, and even in the Christian church, believe that to have a successful life is to have an abundance of possessions. Everything we see, we want. Our hearts are full of sinful desires. It was Thomas Watson who said, we have this insatiable desire of getting the world. Look at how, you know, we behave or we react if, for example, a fellow or a co-worker gets a promotion. Sometimes we get so angry. Or a friend found romance and she got married. Or even somebody went on a vacation in a place we dreamt of going. And we get so, so, so angry and we get so jealous. Beloved, we are always comparing ourselves with others. And so often we resent it when we don't have what, what, when we don't have our way. We have a good-sized house. I know in St. Lucia, that's what people do. They have a good-sized house, but they want one that is bigger. Although the children have left. You understand? When the children were there, you have a big house, no problem. But now they want one bigger. You have a car. The car is fine. It is working well. It is the Lord's money that bought it. But we want one that's faster. Isn't that right? We want something else. Look at the amount of money we spend on entertainment. Much more than we give to the Lord. And, off and, and honestly, my friend, this is shameful. The garments that we, we buy, they must be designer clothing. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. But the extent, even in my country, when I see poor people, you know, dirt poor, and the kinds of clothes that they, 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 they wear, the kind of shoes that they buy, they have to work a whole, maybe a whole month to buy a shoe. And this is the kind of society that we have. Beloved, consumption has become the order or the way of life. And no matter how much we have, we still want more. And don't talk about our desire for new things. Really, it is insatiable. Marketing is a popular subject today because 
it encourages us to consume. So the order of the day-to-day is consume, consume, consume. How dissatisfied we are with our position in the world and how satisfied we are with the little that we do for the Lord. Isn't that right? But this morning, I want to talk to you about a man who was so satisfied with his Christian life, despite all what he went through, despite the fact that he did not have much, but yet he was so satisfied. And just get back to the text, Philippians chapter 4, and that's from the King James Version. Um, I'm sorry for it. Um, verses 10 to 11. He said, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. This is a magnificent passage, brethren. This is a magnificent passage. Paul was moved by the believer's concern for him and for the support of his work. This is what that moved him. The way they wanted to support him. My friends, the believers at Philippi, they were very poor. And it cost them dearly. But they looked for every opportunity to see where he was and how they could help him. They have not been able to give him help for some time. But now, at last, they found an opportunity. And they were able to convey monetary or other support to him and comfort. And another messenger who would help him and accompany him. But he is not complaining, he says. He is not complaining about the fact that he was not provided for. He doesn't rejoice in earthly provision. He is very glad for it, of course. But this is not the reason for his rejoicing. My friends, the cause of his rejoicing is that they did it, and they were concerned about the work of God. Do you understand that? They had heart to support him as he was preaching the gospel of redeeming grace. So material provision was not the basis of Paul's contentment. And that's what we should be studying this morning, how he obtained his great contentment. And verse 11, again, he said, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Now, the word content is very, it's a very strange word, the, the way he, he uses it here. Because he doesn't use the Greek word used in the New Testament for content. He used the word which the Greek philosophers used. And the word means the power to have independence from earthly circumstances. That's what the word means. 
the power to be indifferent to material things. Now, how did he arrive at this? Well, he arrived at it by reflecting on the blessings of God towards him and the ways of Christ towards him. Now, when you look at verse 10, I think it came out a little weak in the English translation. I'll just read it again. He said, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me has flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Beloved, the Apostle Paul is saying how overwhelmed he was. How lifted up he was. How much he rejoiced that they had provided for him. Not because of the material provision, but because of the attitude of the hearts which it revealed. Now that is important. That's what he is concerned about. That's what he is overjoyed about. Their love for the cause, their longing for the work. So the apostle was pleased, not because they were helping the needy, but because they had heart for the Lord's work. They were concerned that others would be saved. That the gospel should go forth. That the Lord's servant should be, should be helped. You know, it is natural for people to want to support the needy, because we see that all the time. Even people who do not believe in God, you know, they spend so much money helping the needy. But it is a mark of grace, my friends, when people have a heart for the Lord's work, when people have a heart for conversion, when people have a heart of, of extending the gospel. And I hope you have a heart for these things, a heart for the Lord's work. It is needed in Wyoming. It is needed in every part of this world. Look at the world. Look at what is happening. Look at how liberalism is taking over everything. There are no standards anymore. What can bring change or changes in the lives of people? It is the gospel. But we must have a heart for it. We must have a heart for conversion. We must go out and preach the gospel. We must go out and tell people of the Lord. Politicians cannot change us. Nothing in this world can change us. But it is only the Lord. And you know it if you are Christian. Isn't that right? You know it because you have experienced it. The extending of the gospel. And this is why I was so thankful to God for the people who came down in the 1950s from America. You know, the way they suffered. You see? As I said, they were not theologians. Some of them, I heard they were waiters in bars and restaurants. But they came to St. Lucia. You know why? Because they had a heart for the gospel. They got saved and they, knew, they know what it is to be saved. And they wanted other people to hear the gospel. They wanted other people to be saved. And you come to St. Lucia today and you see churches, Baptist churches all over the land. This is their work. They had a heart for the gospel. And this is what we ought to have. A heart for the gospel. And do not, do not let anything obstruct 
this, this, the gospel which God has placed in our, in our, in our hands. We have a, a great responsibility. We are the children of God. We are the messengers of God. He said, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly. That now at the last your care of me has flourished again. Wherein you were also careful. But you lacked opportunity. It was such self-denial on their part. Such thoughtfulness. Such determined effort. To find out where the apostle was. That they could get through to him. And meet his needs. Isn't that wonderful? They wanted to know where he is. They wanted to do something for him. Because they know what he is engaged in. They know that it is the gospel. Not that I speak in, his, in respect of one. For I have learned in whatsoever state that I am. Therewith to be content. You know something the apostle had learned. The art and the necessity of Christian contentment. And we can speak about his life before conversion. You know, he was a Pharisee. Um, Philippians chapter 3, verses 3 to 7. He said, For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh, though I might also have confidence in the flesh. If any man thinketh, that he has whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. All the things, beloved, all the things that meant so much to him became valueless once he found Christ. And so it was with us. Our first lesson on Christian contentment came at conversion, you know. This is the time we didn't care what the world does to us, right or wrong. Whether they cut our salary or whether they abuse us, we didn't care. What was important to us was Christ. And Christ alone. Sometimes I wonder whether we have forgotten the first lesson. If we have lost that art of contentment with our lot, with our circumstances. Learning therefore to cope with our difficulties, deprivations and so on. So the Apostle Paul had built, on, or had built up on learning that lesson through difficult circumstances. And you know, and he told us what he went through in Second Corinthians chapter 11. You know, how he, he, he was shipwrecked. He said, I spent a day and a night floating on the ocean, maybe holding onto a piece of log or something. He was in prison. When it was so cold, he was hungry. He was beaten. And you look at all the things the Apostle Paul went through. And put yourself in his shoe. If you had to go through all these things, at the end of it, maybe you'd have retired. You would have said, that is enough. You understand? Let somebody have a go. But he never stopped. 
until his life was taken away. Through all these experiences, he learned how to think so that his blessings in Christ and his spiritual riches soared above every trial and difficulties. That was the Apostle Paul, my friend. And what an example he left for us. Not that I speak in respect of one. For I have learned in whatsoever state I am in, therewith to be content. Now, how did he arrive at this contentment? I have written a few things and I want to share with you this morning. If you don't mind, I drink some water. How did he arrive at this contentment? First of all, he called to mind the mercy of God towards him. He thought back on what kind of a person he had been. And in his bigotry and hatred, he persecuted the church of Christ. He was responsible for many arrests, torturing and beatings, even death. Remember Stephen? When he remembered his sinfulness and all what he had done, he was always melted afresh by the mercy of God. He thought of that. How merciful God has been to me. He had experienced conversion. We'll all think of the hatred he had for Christian people. Conversion brings a difference in our life. It makes a difference in our lives. We have people who call themselves Christians. And my goodness, the only change you see is the fact that they go to church. It's like you walk on the road and you think you're a car. You understand? That's all. No changes. If you are converted, my friends, there will be changes in your life. If you are converted, there will be love for God. Gradually, we'll be living the things of this world. You will. Because your desire will change. You will have a desire for spiritual things. You will have a desire for the things of God. This is what that will, that, that will interest you. But if you call yourself a Christian, and day in, day out, you just plunge into this world, how did you become a Christian? If Christianity is conversion... You are brought from, from, from death in, into life, from darkness into light. That is, a, that is a great work done by the Spirit of God, and that is, that is conversion. Secondly, he remembered the, the communion that he had with the Lord, his access to the throne of grace. Beloved, he remembered all the blessings that he had received, and the intervention of God in his life, and all the guidance. Do you remember these things? Sometimes, beloved, we, we, don't, we don't see our significance. But as Christians, I think we should tremble at our significance. You know why? Because we have access to God's throne. We have communion with him. The worldlings cannot do that. The unbelievers don't have access to, to his throne. You have to be born again. But now you are born again. You can pray to God. You know, it's funny. Luther, Martin Luther complained that he did not have time to pray. But he, he was praying at least three hours a day. 
You understand? Three hours a day, but he said he did not have enough time to pray. I wonder how many times, how often, how long you pray for every day. You see, three hours, and he was complaining because he loved to have communion with God. He loved to approach the throne of grace. And this is what happens when you are converted. You love this communion with God. You love to approach Him. You know you have access to the throne of grace. You never had this before, but now you do. So he remembered all the blessings that he had received, how God intervened in his life and all the guidance. We don't take time to think about these things. We're so busy today. But let me tell you, it helps if we could just take some time, you know, and for us to reflect on our Christian life. Reflect on our lives and our relationship with God and see what God has done for you. If you had to write the blessings which God has, has bestowed upon you, you would need a lot of books, a lot of exercise books, as we say in the Caribbean. Notebooks, you know. You would be writing a lot because God has blessed us so much. Thirdly, my friends, he remembered how he had received the gift of understanding and human nature and the way of the world. All things had become so clear to him in the light of Scripture. He remembered the gift of knowledge and understanding that he had been given. Fourthly, he remembered his eternal hope and absolute security that such a person as he was was not only saved but guaranteed a safe passage all the way to glory. He remembered all this, this beloved, and much more. Verse 12 said, I know both how to, uh, to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. He knew how to be abased. The word in the Greek means to be humiliated. Same word in Philippians chapter 2 verse 8. He knew how to set the blessings against the hardships. And let me tell you something. When we fail to, this, to do this, my friends, we are down. We handle our problems badly, all of us. Isn't that right? We don't handle problems the way we should as Christian people. So often we, we fall to self-pity. We always feel sorry for ourselves. And we are always complaining. Somebody said, we come into this world crying. We live in this world complaining. And we, and, and, and we die disappointed. That is the world. But we should be different. You understand? We should be different. Because we have the spirit of God. We are Christian people. So be careful how you handle your problems, beloved. Don't fall into self-pity. Don't feel sorry for yourself. You know the Puritan William Gouge. He described contentment like this. He said, contentment is satisfaction of the mind about the sufficiency and the suitability of my condition. Mental satisfaction that my condition is both suitable for me and enough for me. And what a definition. Mental satisfaction that my condition is both suitable for me and enough for me. 
My friends, Christian contentment arises when you think about God's disposing goodness, kindness, and wisdom. I am a child of God. And he has allowed this to happen. And he has ordained it. When I think of his goodness, this will work together for my eternal good. When I think of his kindness, though that may be painful sometimes, but I know in his supreme kindness, he will turn it to my account. Maybe he's training me. You know, sometimes we, we, we are sick. And then we believe that God has forgotten us. You understand? All the time we're okay. Now we, we are sick. We think God has forgotten us. But do you know whatever you're going through was ordained by God? God allowed it to happen to you. It is for a reason. The Bible said in everything give thanks. What do we do? In everything we complain. Yeah? That is, that is very far from, from giving thanks to God. So no matter what you're going through, no matter what health issues you have presently, remember it is ordained by God. And this is the best situation for you as it stands today. And this is the way you have to look at it, my friends. If you have to receive a blessing and if you have to continue your, your fellowship with God. So God is training you Beloved, maybe he is leading me by this, well, I know you all say route. I'll say route, but we say route in St. Lucia. Maybe he's training you by this route into a, a situation where I should be a great blessing to others. Think of Job. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God is training you. I, once I heard of a man in in India. Um, I don't want to be too long, right? Maybe you all are hungry. Um, he was a Hindu, and you know how they have mixed marriages. Sometimes before you are born, you know who your parents know who you're going to marry to, right? Um, and this man, when it came for him to get married, just a little, a few weeks before, he became a Christian. But he went on with the wedding. He married his, his Hindu wife. And after the, 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 the ceremony and the festival and, you know, the, you know, all the reception and all the things, they went on their honeymoon. You know what the wife said to him? The wife said to him, you know, I hate you. I hate your wife. I hate your, your, your religion. I will live my life as a wife. I'll do all my work as a wife. But I want you to understand that I hate you and I hate your religion and I have nothing to do with you. What did he do? Let me tell you what he did. He continued to be a good husband. He continued to live his Christian life in such a difficult um, situation. How would you react if your wife had said that to you on your, on your honeymoon night? But he lived a godly life. And he, he started to work for Wycliffe, Bible translators. And then after a few months, they, they were able to, to translate a book. And you know, when you do translation from the source language to the receptor, 
language. You see, for example, if you do in the book of Matthew, after you, you finish the translation, you choose people in the receptor language to, to read to, to see whether it's natural and, and whether it is clear. Because when you translate, you want people to understand. So when it, they had reached that stage, the, the director said to him, you know something? Ask your wife. Tell her that we want to give her a job to, so, so, so we, we can read to her and she will advise us. The man said, but you don't love me. I told you what my wife said to me on, on our wedding, on our honeymoon night. She said she has nothing to do with me. She hates me. She hates my religion. So the, the director said, no, but you, sh you can still ask her. He said, no, I can't do that. You know, the, the director went and asked, asked the, the wife. And you know what? She agreed. She agreed. And they started to read to her. And she recommended changes, not for accuracy, of course, but for naturalness and so on. And one day they were having lunch. You know what she said to him? She said, you know, I would love to follow your religion. You know the man almost choked. Because he said, but you hated me, you hated my, you hated my religion, you, you have nothing to do with me. You know what she said to him? She said, he said, she sorry, said, the Jesus that you follow. No, the Jesus in your book is so much like you. You understand? She got it a little wrong. You might think that she, he looks like Jesus. But the life which he lived, you understand, in those difficult circumstances, this is what God used to call his wife who hated him to, 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 to the kingdom. You understand? So when we're going through problems and we start to mourn, you know, and we are angry with God and we don't want to pray, we don't want to go to church, we don't want to read our Bibles and all these other things, what are you doing? You are saying that God doesn't care about me. And God loved you so much. Do you understand that? So don't complain, my friends. Trust God. Do Live your Christian life. That's what you have to do. No matter what happens to you. I have, I have gone through hurricanes when we had no water. Nothing, nothing, nothing. You see? We never complain. Any opportunity that we had to start church without electricity, we did it. You understand? Too much complaining. I think we are spoiled. You see? And God doesn't want spoiled children. God wants children to stand up and live their life, you know? Defend the faith. That's what we have to do. And be satisfied with our condition. Give thanks to God. And fifthly, my friends, Christian contentment comes as a result of God's fatherly interest in me. This is a tremendous thing to think about. You know, should I allow myself to chase after better standards? And better comforts, better this and better that? Should I be restless? Should I be hurt? And so often we are hurt. Any little thing we are hurt. You understand? Whatever it was, Paul was all Paul always thought of God's fatherly care and affection for him. And we are serving the same God. We have the same father. As Paul. 
And this is the way, my friends, we ought to be. You have a heavenly Father. He loves you. And with Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, oh, He loves you. Always remember that. God loves you so much. Words going to describe God's love for us. And if we just think about our conversion, then we will, we will understand that. How God has... God, God was not under any obligation to save you. Who do you think you are? You understand? Who do you think you are? You are a sinner. You hated God. And even though you live a thousand years in this world, you'll never choose God. He chose you. To show you how much he loved you. But so often, this means so little to us. And how sad it is, beloved, when we behave like that. And finally, Christian contentment comes when we remember the promises of God. Philippians 4.19 But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Hebrews 13.5 Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Matthew 13.44 Again, the kingdom of God is like treasure hid in a field. The which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field, the treasure of having Christ. You understand? This is the treasure that you have, of having Christ, of having salvation, the treasure of having the Lord of glory as a Savior and as a friend as a guide, just to reflect on these, beloved, is so important for us. So we have to be content. We have to know our circumstances and how to turn away from excessive things and how to quench covetous desires. We know how to do it. You understand? We know how to do it. So Christian contentment it is Christ-like. You understand? It is Christ-like. It subdues lust. It builds up our patience. Beloved, it, it improves our spiritual taste. It helps us to obey God in all things. It gives us a servant spirit. It gives perspective in every situation. My friends, it makes all our difficulties light. Christian contentment. We have to be content. We have to be satisfied. We have to be thankful to God. If God has to bless us, and if we have to continue to live a life which will glorify Him. But just two things as I close. Two things I would like to bring to your, um, to your attention. Verses 12 and 13 said, I know how to be a best and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things for Christ who strengtheneth me. In the middle, he said, 
I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry. You know, the, the Greek word literally says, I have been initiated. Now, it is a cultic word borrowed here by the Apostle Paul. He is saying that he has been initiated into a secret of contentment. Beloved, he is saying that he has been taught the secret of Christian contentment. Now, you might say, but why did the apostle choose a cultic word? After all, Christianity is not a cult. God forgives. It is all by grace. But now, I am a Christian. I know shortages and needs. And to deal with that is a bit of an art, the Apostle Paul says. Have you been taught the art? Of course, no amount of contemplation could bring you conversion. But now you are converted. You need a little bit of contemplation. You need to learn the art. You need to think deeply about who you are and your position in this world and why you are going through what you are going through. Think about these things. He said, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Christian contentment brings strength. If you're not satisfied, if you're not content, if you're not contented, let me tell you, you'll be weak. You'll be a weak Christian and you'll always be mourning. You'll always be complaining. You'll always be whining. But if you are satisfied, you will be strengthened. Christian contentment strengthens our faith. It strengthens our joy. It strengthens our, our sense of calm. Because we are, we are satisfied. We know God is in control of everything. No matter whether there's a storm raging out there, God is in control. And I will be calm. Remember when John Wesley, and I must end, when John Wesley left America and he was going back to, um, to England, he, was, he thought he was a failure. And he said that he's going back to England where possibly he'll be a, a professor again at Oxford and so on. And when he was crossing the Atlantic on this boat, there was a storm and everybody was crying. And things were just flying everywhere. The sailors, everybody was scared. And they thought that they would die. But when he, he looked in a corner of the boat, and guess what he saw? He saw a group of people there. Guess what they were doing? They were praying. And they were as calm, we say in the Caribbean, calm as a cucumber. <laughs> they were so calm when everybody else was crying. And when he went and spoke to them, he learned that they were Moravians, missionaries going back to Europe from America. And this is what that spoke to him. You understand? That spoke to him. Everybody was crying. He himself was scared. But those Christians there, they were in a corner just praying as though nothing happened. Why? Because they knew God was in control. And this is the way, my friends, we ought to, our life, we ought to be calm. Whether you, you go to the doctor and they say you have cancer, you think God doesn't know? Whatever happens, he is in complete control. 
Whether people are taking advantage of you, God knows he is in complete control. Maintain your calm. Be satisfied. You know, your Christian contentment strengthens your liberty in the Lord. It strengthens your prayer. God will help and strengthen us in every way, my friends. But we must be content. I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. May the Lord bless us all. Let's pray. Lord, we thank thee for thy word. We, we pray, O oh God, that thou would help us to, to live a humble life before thee. That, O oh God, we may not delve too much in the things of this world. Because thou hast said, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Help us, O oh God, to, to grow. Help us to love thee. Help us to love thee more than anything else in this world. And help us to know above all that thou art in complete control of our life. Whatever will happen to us has been ordained by thee. So be pleased to bless us all. For Jesus' sake. Amen.